Get ready for Christmas at ALCF, starting with a special Advent message series beginning Sunday, November 25th, along with our Christmas celebration on Sunday, December 23rd, featuring our adult and children's choir. For many people, the holidays can be a very tough season, especially for children separated from their families. So let's all come together for ALCF's 19th annual Christmas gift drive to help local youth, Angel Tree, a program supporting children of incarcerated parents, and military troops serving abroad. Stop by the gift table to find out more about how you and your family can get involved through December 20th. It's time to spread the good news about Jesus throughout our communities by preparing packages of food, clothing, and toiletries. Then we'll share them and minister to people living on the streets or temporarily residing at the First Step for Families shelter. This event takes place on Sunday, November 18th at 11.45 a.m. in the ALCF kitchen. Our Young Adult Sunday Meetup is a great opportunity for people 18 to 30-ish to connect and have fun with other young adults over lunch. Meet us at the center pillar in the lobby after service on Sundays, and we'll head out together to enjoy a tasty local eatery from 11.30 to 1 p.m. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. Have you ever wanted to be a part of the camera crew that records service? Are you interested in being a part of the production team that runs graphics during the service? Now is the perfect time to sign up for our open camera operator and graphics operator positions. Training will be provided in our production booth and you are guaranteed a great seat for service. We are looking for people who are focused, task-oriented, dedicated, and responsible. For more information, contact Visual Media at ALCF.net. The fourth Sundays of the month are now family-friendly, and your entire family is invited to join us in the sanctuary for our worship celebration. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to ALCF.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world. I love the multi-ethnic church. You never know what you're going to get. I love it. I love it. Pray with me. Father, we bless you, and we acknowledge you to be our strength and our portion, Lord God. And we, we come to you. In fact, we just confess, Lord God, taking way too much credit for stuff we didn't do that you did in our lives. You are our strength. You are our portion, not the letters behind my name, not the zeros in my bank account, not the things I've accomplished or achieved. The Bible says, what do you have that you did not receive? And we thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Now speak to us, Lord God, I pray one more time from your word. Use me, I pray. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We're finishing up uh, today a series on marriage, three-part series that we've been uh, working in. Please meet me in Ephesians 5. We've been anchoring there, resting there uh, for all 
uh, three weeks in this series, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, one of the things that we do have is a resource center, so if you just exited uh, straight, out, straight out of the sanctuary and go to the right, uh, there right behind the contributor's tent is a room, that's our resource center, and we are an equipping church, so we're always looking for opportunities to put tools in your tool belt. Uh, to help you uh, be a well-resourced follower of Jesus Christ and effective witness in the Bay. Uh, we've got several books on marriage that I've had them stock in the Resource Center. Um, one is a book that just came out written by my parents, Crawford and Karen Loritz. Um, I saw the movie, and uh, uh, the book is actually quite good. It will really encourage you. Uh, it's the, really some great stories of their marriage anchored in biblical principles. I promise you I'm not trying to get a bigger inheritance by telling you about this, uh, but this is a good book called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Anybody here ever read the book Love and Respect? This is a classic, classic book. I think every single uh, person, uh, especially those who are married, should read this book. Uh, it is a phenomenal book that I promise you will bless you. Uh, as I always tell the men, men don't wait for your wives to elbow you and to tell you you should get this resource. For some, you're like, that's too late. She already did. Uh, but I want to encourage you, um, it will go well with you if you actually take the initiative and just got one or both of these resources and just say, sweetheart, I want to invest in our marriage. I promise you, brother, that will go well with you. Ephesians chapter 5, pick me up in verse 25. I want to read the text to us and expound on some thoughts, and then we can get on with the rest of our day. Ephesians chapter 5, pick me up in verse 25. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might pay attention to these words, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Whoa. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, now in verse 31, Paul is actually quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mama. I should have heard an amen somewhere there. Because somebody's mama's coming in town this week. And hold fast to his wife which means his wife is the number one lady in his, in his life now, not his mama. I should have gotten two amens on that one. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. 
When I was in school over in England, uh, one of the things that I would always do, either before I would make my way uh, over into Oxford or on the way back, on my way going to the airport, I would always take some time uh, to stop by uh, either the Tower of London or Westminster Abbey. If I could do both, I would do it. Those are my two favorite places to visit in England. Many of us have been to those places in England. You know uh, that the Tower of London, among other things, houses the crown jewels of the monarchy. If you spend an afternoon there, you'll, you'll find yourself just blown away by the sheer majesty and beauty of these jewels. Westminster Abbey is uh, where the bulk of the British monarchy are buried along with other uh, notable figures throughout England's history. That's where Wilberforce is buried and uh, Churchill and so on and so forth. Spend an afternoon there, and likewise, you'll find yourself just, just blown away. In many regards, the Tower of London and Westminster Abbey house the glory of England. If you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of England, hang out at the Tower of London and Westminster Abbey. If you want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God, hang out with a Christian couple who have committed themselves to holy matrimony. I know this sounds like a, a far-fetched statement, but it is actually true. Week one, I told you that God has instituted three instruments of divine human flourishing. The first institution he creates is marriage. Second institution he creates for our good and the safety and flourishing of his people is government. The third institution that God creates is the church. These three institutions are the vehicles God wants to use to give the world a glimpse of his glory and to, and, and, and to uh, contribute to human flourishing. In other words, your marriage is not just about your marriage. Your marriage is not just about sharing bills or sharing bodies. Your marriage is not just about what happens in the privacy of your home. Your marriage is to be a profound witness to a dark and dying world that is giving up on the institution of marriage. God wants to set your marriage up like a city set on a hill and give people hope. He wants your marriage to be a poster that people look to for inspiration. This is marriage. God has a call on your marriage. And because God has a call on your marriage, whatever God calls, Satan attacks. Satan is not going to sit back and just watch you and your wife have a great time together. He's not going to just sit back and watch you lead your wife and love your wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, the moment you decide to take your marriage seriously is the moment that Satan is going to throw everything at your union, including the kitchen sink. That's why marriage is for grown folk. 
It's for children. It's not for children. It's for people who have a steeled resolve that God wants to do something. God maybe wants your marriage to reverse the curse of broken marriages in your lineage. That you don't have to be handcuffed by what your mama didn't do or your grandmama didn't do or your, or, or your great-grandfather didn't do. God wants to stop the curse at your zip code. He wants to use your marriage as a profound instrument. I'll never forget. And look, I, I want to be careful. Corey would be the first to tell you we don't have a perfect marriage. We're, 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 we're just in process. But I got to tell you, we did this thing called a residency program at one of the churches I pastored, and we'd bring in all these young individuals who said, I just have a call of God on my life for, for, for vocational ministry. And many of them came from broken homes, and a part of it was they would just come over our house and just would sit at our table. And on their exit interviews three years later after they've graduated with the MDiv and they've spent three years under my tutelage and now they're out planting churches, in their exit interviews, they would say things like, honestly, some of the most valuable things I ever learned was just sitting at your table watching you open up the scriptures and seeing you relate to your wife and your wife relate to you because I came from a broken home. I never even had a picture of what that was. God has a call on your marriage. He doesn't just want you to cohabitate with one another. He wants there to be a witness through your marriage to a lost and dying world. Well, what does that look like? We spent the first two weeks actually in verse 25. And in verse 25, we were just in one uh, phrase where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Look at it with me. As Christ, as Christ, as Christ loved the church. And that one phrase, what we said was this, here is Paul now, he is now tying and tethering the institution of marriage with the gospel. That's what he means when he says, as Christ loved the church. In that phrase is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is as if Paul is saying, you can't understand marriage unless you understand the gospel. Marriage is to be a megaphone by in which we communicate the gospel. What does that mean? We learned in the last two weeks that the gospel is predicated on four foundational pillars. One, the gospel begins with some very bad news, and that is we are sinners. Here I am a sinner, and God has gotten into union with me. I don't care how fine she is. I don't care how fine he is, how good she looked on the wedding day, how good he looked on the wedding day. You married a sinner. It's profoundly broken. And because of that, they don't have the capacity to be God in your life and to fulfill your deepest longing. So stop looking to them. You married a sinner. Secondly, the way our union with God works through the gospel is because he married us, we sinners, if our marriage to God is going to have any hope, any hope of flourishing, any hope of working, the, the way our marriage to God works is every day, many times throughout the day, he heaps on our plate generous portions of forgiveness. He forgives and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. And so a marriage that mimics the gospel not only understands that I've married a sinner, but this marriage has no hope unless I learn the divine art of letting it go. Forgiving. 
as far as the east is from the west. And I'm not just talking about pressing pause on it, and then three months later we're back at another argument, and then all of a sudden I reach back to the previous three months and brought up what I thought was already forgiven. I don't pop my spouse's sins into the microwave and heat them up. I cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Thirdly, the gospel says that we got into relationship with Jesus Christ, excuse me, with God through his son Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Likewise, a gospel-centered marriage is a marriage that is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Here is the dance of marriage, and that is marriage is a venture between two very flawed people, two very different people. And, And the goal of marriage is to not clone each other into our own image. But the goal of marriage says, in spite of our differences, we've got to have a few core commitments. And one of those core commitments is we have to be on the same page in the same chapter as it relates to our commitment to Jesus Christ. We're just not going to fudge on that. We, We keep coming back to the common denominator of Jesus Christ. Fourthly and finally, the gospel is predicated not only the fact that I'm a sinner, I'm being forgiven on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, but but marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's a grace based covenant. Contracts are performance-oriented, right? You do your part, I do my part, and if I'm pleased with your performance, I'll, I'll stay in it. But the moment you don't make me happy is the moment I kind of veer off or venture out of the marriage. I'm not being fulfilled here. Yeah, I won't divorce you, but I'll go somewhere else to get what I need. That's merit-based, <laughs> Marriages are grace-based covenants. Now, this morning, I want to go all in on men. Husbands, fasten your seatbelts. Single men, fasten your seatbelts. Because single men, you need to be hearing this stuff now. If you studied Paul's text on marriage, which actually begins in verse 22 and ends in verse 33, here's what you'll figure. You don't need to go to seminary for this. Um, he, He devotes three verses to wives, 22, 23, and 24. But at the beginning in verse 25, he devotes nine verses to husbands. Three times as many verses to husbands as he does to wives. That doesn't mean that husbands are more important than wives, not at all. But he does, through this example, is communicating that husbands bear the weight, bear the responsibility for the well-being of their marriage. We can go back to Genesis for this. Even though Eve ate of the fruit first, who did God come calling? Adam. Not because Adam is better than Eve. He was not. But in the divine order of things, and I know I'll get emails on this one, so email me at glenn.alcf.net. But in the divine order of things, he is holding Adam responsible for his house. That is an inescapable biblical truth. Sometimes my wife and I will get into an argument, and we'll just go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, she says, oh, that's okay. You'll have to answer to God on that one. So passive-aggressive. So passive-aggressive. But there's some biblical truth to that. 
Three times in our text, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. In fact, I think that's the central idea of our passage. Husbands, love your wives. But what does it mean to love? I know I'm dating myself with this analogy. I grew up in the 80s, and there was a band called Foreigner, and they sang a song, I want to know what love is. It didn't work here. Yeah, somebody. I want to know what love is. But the central idea here is husbands love your wives. And actually, when Paul says these words, husbands love your wives, it is a command, which means when I stand in the presence of God, one of my stewardship responsibilities that I will have to give an account for is, did I fulfill God's command to love this woman, Corey? So I better know what he means. When God says, through Paul, husbands love your wives, what does that mean? Three things. Here's the table of contents, and I'll be out of your way. First of all, love is sacrificing. Two, love is sanctifying. And three, love is satisfying. Give that to you again. Love is sacrificing. Two, love is sanctifying. And three, love is satisfying. Look at verse 25. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. The Greek word there is is agape. Paul is writing in Greek. C.S. Lewis in his wonderful book, The Four Loves, points out, as the title suggests, there's four Greek words for love. This word agape is the highest one. One of the words for love is eros, from which we get the English word erotic from. It's the idea of lust. Lust takes. Agape is completely different. It is a sacrificing kind of love that seeks the best in the object loved, even if it comes at my own cost and detriment. I'm going too fast. Agape is not eros. Eros, erotic, is a sexual kind of love that says, you give me, you fulfill me. I come to the table, and, um, and this is kind of a marketing agreement, and I want to see if the consumer goods is up to par. And if you perform well, if you satisfy me, that's, that's under the heading of eros. Agape is completely different. Eros takes, agape gives. Agape looks at our wife and it says, what can I do to pull out the best in her if even that means it comes at a cost and detriment to me? Look at the context. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, as Christ. Simile, as Christ loved the church. How do I know Christ loved the church? He got on a cross and died for me. Jesus says, mankind is headed to an eternity in hell. I've got to do something about it. Even if it demands my own pain, detriment, and death, I will pay the penalty. That's agape. So husbands, if you're saying my wife is killing me, Paul would say, well, then you're being like Jesus. If it ain't hurting, if it ain't costly, 
If you're not having to die to your flesh, you ain't loving. These are the simple mathematics of it. The Bible says, 1 John, God is agape. God is love. God doesn't just do love. The very nature of who he is is love. John 3.16, hear it now. Hear the giving aspect of it. God so agaped the world that he took, no, that he gave his only son. Jesus so loved you and I that he died. In fact, Jesus would go on to say in John 15, 13, look at it with me, greater agape, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now hear me, ladies. I'm not saying you get a pass from this. Need I remind us that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which is a call for everyone, is that the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is lead off batter, love, agape. Every believer is called to love. But why is he saying especially husband's love, husband's love, husband's love, when everybody's been called to love? Why? Because The husband is not better than the wife, but he has been given leadership responsibilities within the home. I know I'm getting emails on that one. Glenn at ALCF.net. The husband is called to lead the home. And the truth is in my marriage and marriages I've waded into, husbands are thermostats, women are thermometers. Husbands tend to set the temperature in the home, and wives reflect the atmosphere. You know what my mom said to me recently? I hope she wasn't dropping a hint. She said, son, I can always tell when a couple who's been married for years, I can always tell the quality of the husband's leadership because the wife tends to wear it on her countenance. She says, a husband who's not doing his job, his wife just looks beat down. She said to me, the best plastic surgery a wife could ever receive is the godly leadership of her husband. Men, how you doing? How you doing? Again, if the Lord says the same, we got 30 years together. I'll, next time I'll go in on the women. I'll probably have my wife do that. Husbands, love, love, love. Pat Tillman, we remember Pat Tillman, don't we? Here he is, wealthy, prestigious, famous football player for the, for the Arizona Cardinals. Yet right on the heels of 9-11, he is so disturbed by what's happened in 9-11. What does he do? He quits his job, walks away from a lucrative life, gives up the paycheck, gives up the money, gives up the notoriety, gives up the fame, joins the military where two years later he's killed fighting on our behalf. And I think the reason why we were, we were especially moved is because in that we caught a glimpse of the gospel. He didn't have to do that. 
here is sacrifice in the lineage of Jesus Christ where he says, I'm going to table my needs. I'm going to lay down my life for the good of others. Husbands, that's what we're called to do. See, that's why I'm saying when I, when I say marriage is for grown folks, see, you can't come into marriage which requires agape with an eros mentality. You, you, you can't come into marriage as a consumer when it requires a giver. <laughs> so what does this look like? Every day, men, we have an opportunity to lead out in this. And, and it comes in a million different ways. Again, it could be simple things like if it's not your regular habit to do, you know, I'm going to make up the bed. Or, you know, one day maybe the chores are divided equally in the household. And you just say, look, I'm going to do my chores today, and I just want to give you a break, and I'm going to take yours on as well. These are simple little sacrifices to make. could be weightier things like, like the husband saying, I've got some dreams, I've got some things I want to get to, but, but my wife has some dreams and some things she wants to get to, and just for simple time purposes, we both can't do it at the same time. So, so honey, you go ahead first. You, you pursue your dream first. You go ahead. It could mean you, you go ahead and quit your job, and you go back to school first, and I, I'll figure it out, but I, I want to see you flourish. I, I want the best to come out of you. See, this stuff ain't for boys. It's for men. Secondly, marriage is not only sacrificing, but secondly, marriage is sanctifying. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, gave, gave himself up for her. Verse 26, here it is, that he might, underline these words, sanctify her, having, underlined this one, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, don't get lost in the metaphor. Again, Paul is using the example of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the church to teach on marriage. He says, here's what happened. We're married to Christ. Christ is our husband, and he gave himself up to sanctify us. The idea of sanctify, it means to make pure. Not only that, but he did it to cleanse us, and, and he did it to wash us. All of these words speak of bringing a person from a state of impurity to purity. That because of the leadership of Jesus Christ in my own life, I, I am moving from glory to glory. I'm, I'm getting better and better and better and better. Why? Because ultimately the purpose is, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. You know what in splendor means? Flawless. Without spot or wrinkle, or any such. And the best way I can, I can depict this is, is to go back to July 3rd, 1999. There I am, standing at the altar of the Faithful Central Bible Church, front and center, my dad's to my immediate left, my best man, my grooms and all to my left, and, uh, man, the, 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 everybody's standing, the music is playing, and there's that pregnant pause where all of a sudden the doors are open, and there is Corey, and oh, my gosh, in splendor. Not a hair out of place. Not a spot or a blemish on her dress. 
walking down the aisle, and there she is face-to-face with me, just beaming. And she's giving thanks for the honor and privilege it is to be married to me. Hardly. But that's the idea here. She's, she's in splendor. You, you, you know what Paul is saying? There's coming a day, it's hard to imagine, where we will be face-to-face with God, Jesus Christ, our, 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 our groomsmen. We're going to be his bride, and he's going to present us faultless, completely holy, without spot or wrinkle. And I know you can't even even fathom it, as one of my preacher friends says, phantom it. I know you can't even phantom it. Because right now what's happening, I've got all these sins and struggles, and I can't believe I said that, and I can't believe I did that, and I just did that last night, and I fault, 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 and yet you keep following Jesus. One of the things that you know you're a legitimate follower of him is you'll never reach a place of sinless perfection. You'll never be completely sinless, but the more you follow his leadership, you should sin less. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm not there yet. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better to the point where I will be presented faultless. Why? How do I progress to faultless the leadership of Jesus Christ? Now, here's the bombshell. What Christ is to us, the husband is to the wife. What is he saying here? Your wife, husbands. This is the weightiest thing I'll say to you. Your wife if you've been leading her in the way of Jesus, should be able to look through the rearview mirror of her journey with you and should be able to conclude, I am a better woman, not in spite of you, but because of you. I'm flourishing. I'm growing. I don't have to work around you. I'm just simply following you as you follow Christ, and you are bringing out the best in me. So that, here's what the godly husband is always doing. The godly husband is earning a Ph.D. in his wife. He's studying her. He's always asking the question, what makes baby girl flourish? What brings her life? What makes her come alive? You got to pay attention. Is she an introvert? Is she an extrovert? Does she get her energy being by herself or with the girls? And I want to position her. I'm not God, but I want to position her so that she blooms. Again, marriage ain't for boys. This is grown men stuff. So what does it look like? One of the ways my wife comes alive, she loves New York City. So I said, every year we're going to make it happen. I'm going to get you on a plane, you and your girlfriends, Send you to New York. Don't even tell me what you spent. <laughs> One year I dropped her off. She, literally, she said to me, uh, honey, I won't overdo it on the credit card, but I will do it. 
Some of you, you, you married an introvert. She gets her energy being by herself. And she begins to wilt when she doesn't have enough me time. So good leadership is not her figuring that out on her own, but you actually saying, hey, look, honey, I got the kids for the weekend. And I've, I've studied you. I, I know what your favorite hotel is. I've already booked it. See, see right there, ladies, you just missed your cue. Some lady should have said, preach, pastor, right there. That just right there was a good spot. Sweetheart, it's been a while since you've been to the spa. And I, and I, know, money's been, I know money's been tight. I know money's been tight. But I'm giving up golf for the next three months to pay for your spa day. I mean, there's a little humor in this, but brothers, study your wife. What's her love language? Study her. She should flourish. Thirdly, let's go home on this one. Love is sacrificing. Love is sanctifying. <laughs> Love is satisfying. Pick me up in verse 28. Paul says in the same way. So he's been talking about what Christ is doing for us. Now he loops it back in into marriage. So he's going in and out between what Christ does for us, what husbands does for wives. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I'm looking around the room. We, many of us husbands are loving our bodies well. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, underline these words, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Why? Because we are members of his body. This is so rich. I, I, I struggle because I could actually teach a whole sermon just on what we just read. He says, here's what a godly husband does. We satisfy our wives. And how do we do that? We nourish them. To nourish is to provide sustenance. It is... It is the idea of provision. I, I, think, I think in general, it's comprehensive provision. I'm not taking us back to a he-man kind of an ethic where, you know, men's got to go out and work and wives can't work. That is, look, that's not even a biblical concept, first of all. If you read Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, she works. She's an entrepreneur. All right? So don't, don't, don't take me back to the 1950s on this. I'm just saying... What a man does is a man contributes to the well-being, to the provision of the household. Ain't nothing sorrier than a man sitting at home with nothing to do while his wife is out working. Now, I understand seasons of unemployment. I get that. I get that. But don't wait for the dream job, and six months later, you just still wait and do something. Ain't nothing wrong with working at Starbucks. Nothing's wrong with that. Do something. 
He nourishes. He brings things to the house. But I think Paul has something even more specific when he says nourishing. I think he's not just talking about provision in general. I actually think he's talking about spiritual nourishment. Why? Look back up at verse 26. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So, so the, the godly husband nourishes and, and he provides to the deepest levels of his wife's soul, which is he exercises spiritual leadership. And he cherishes her. The idea of cherish, the Greek literally means to heat up, to make warm. It's not a sexual term. It's a term of intimacy. It's the idea of affection. What he's saying here is, men, your wife ain't one of the boys. Handle her with care. Be tender. Was it, was, it, was it Otis Redding who said, try a little tenderness? Be affectionate. This is what Peter gets at when he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel. This is not a statement of inferiority. When it calls wives the weaker vessel, it's actually a statement, I think you could argue, for superiority. What do I mean by that? All of us right now have two kinds of vessels in our home. One kind of plastic cups, uh, uh, these these big gulps we might have. Who cares how we handle them? Uh, uh, Other vessels are fine china. Fine china is weaker, and we handle those with care because it's more valuable. So I cherish her because I see how valuable she is. I'm not rough with her. I guard what comes out of my mouth as it it relates to her. That's why for a husband to abuse his wife is despicable. Now watch this. Why should I do this? Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. (laughs) When when your body says, I'm hungry, you drop everything and take care of it. When your body says, I'm tired, you go on vacation. You pay attention to your body and you, no discussion, no delay, no debate, you are proactive in caring for your body. Paul says in the same way, treat your wife. Why? He says because he who loves his wife, follow me now, loves himself. Wait a minute, what what does that mean? He says, remember, he says, we are members of Christ's body. Colossians says that Christ is the head. We are the body. So that we are connected to Christ. So when when I am obedient to Christ, when I'm loving Christ, when I'm following Christ, when I'm in submission to Christ, it goes well with me because I'm the body. 
Now, in our text, he says we're members of Christ, and he also goes on to say that the two, husband and wife, are now one. We're connected. So why should I nourish and cherish my wife? Because we're one. When she's nourished, I'm nourished. When she's cherished, I'm cherished. It really is true. Happy wife, happy life. Earlier this year, I was in an airport waiting on a flight and um, got the news we were delayed. We asked, well, why are we delayed? Well, they said, <laughs> I, I, they, they need to institute this for pastors. They, they said, well, Ms. Loritz, the reason why you're delayed, they actually came on the, on the intercom and said all this. The reason why you're delayed is, is because uh, the crew came back too late last night. And there's actually a rule that says pilots have to get a certain amount of sleep before they clock in. I love that. Love that. Love that. And so they said, we will be delayed three hours. This one brother next to me starts flipping out. I can't believe that. Uh, they, they, they don't do that on my job or most jobs. They need to hurry up and get here. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> like, what's the alternative? Them nodding off at the wheel 35,000 feet in the air? No, no, no. You get all the rest you need. Why? Because my well-being is tied into their well-being. Why should I nourish my wife? Why should I cherish my wife? Why should I do all this stuff? Because when she's satisfied, you're satisfied. When mama's happy, everybody's happy. When mama ain't, nobody is. And when daddy ain't happy, who cares? Come on, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of fooling around with y'all. Let's, l l l let's, let's go home on this one. Let me just give you some practical things to take home. Um, let me give you three practical things. Number one, know your wife's love language and speak it often, brothers. I'm referencing here a book called The Five Love Languages. Uh, men, any men read that book, The Five Love Languages? If you have not read that book, brothers, you have to read it, required reading. Five love languages, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, gifts. Five love languages. Here's the problem, the authors say. The problem is most people communicate love the way they like to receive love. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I was, when Corey and I were dating, I was constantly telling her, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, and I wasn't getting anywhere. Because that's not her love language. Her love language is quality time. So what I'm having to do to sacrifice for her is to spend quality time with her. Brothers, know your wife's love language and speak it often and speak it well. Two. 
build into her spiritually. It could be a weekly thing where you're working through a a book of the Bible. It could be getting one of these resources and saying, sweetheart, I just want to, let's just read a chapter a week and set aside a time for us to sit down and talk about it. Now, I'm going to warn you, the moment you decide to do that, I promise you, if you say, sweetheart, Wednesdays at 7 p.m., we're going to sit down and we're going to pray together or we're going to go through this chapter, I promise you what's going to happen. Tuesday or Wednesday morning, something's going to happen. And there's going to be a huge fight. That's Satan. And you've got to make up in your mind right now he's not going to get the victory. Thirdly, ask her, how can I connect better with you? Simple, maybe lunch conversation. Husband, just ask your wife, how can I connect better with you? And just spend time talking about it. I know this is easier said than done. All of us have marriages that have issues we've got to work through. Marriage is tough. It's challenging. It's hard. Satan is busy. But I want us to be a church that has marriages built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. I want to have marriages where women are coming to church looking radiant and full of life and flourishing, and they're able to say, I, am, I couldn't imagine doing life without this husband in my life. He's unleashed things in me. I, I'm, I'm more empowered. I'm better equipped because of his godly leadership, not dictatorship, but his servant leadership in my life. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I I pray for the men. I pray, Lord God, that what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16 would be true of us, that that we would be strong and act like men and that we would be courageous. Not in a beat down, he man, worldly way but in the way of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, we'd be men of agape. We're saying, how can I sacrifice for you? How can I build into you? How can I give up for you? How can I lay down my life for you? God, I just pray that, and I can pray that because, Jesus, that's what you've done for us. Yeah. So as we end this service, we acknowledge that none of this works without the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that we need to tap into a power source that is beyond us. And that power source, Jesus, is you. So Father God, right now, in the name of Jesus, as our elders come and as our prayer team members come, God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would save someone's soul. We pray that you would hit reset on some husband's heart, some husband's leadership, some husband's love. That they would lead in an Ephesians chapter 5 kind of a way, bringing out the best in their wives. I pray, Lord God, for marriages in this house right now in the name of Jesus. I speak against divorce. I declare under the authority of Jesus Christ that Satan will not get victory in this house. I pray humility. I 
pray the power of your spirit. I pray the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray repentance. I pray forgiveness. I pray humility. I pray for fresh anointing and fresh power and fresh provision over these marriages. Do it, Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Look at what's going on this week at Abundant Life. Get ready for Christmas at ALCF, starting with a special Advent message series beginning Sunday, November 25th, along with our Christmas celebration on Sunday, December 23rd, featuring our adult and children's choir. For many people, the holidays can be a very tough season, especially for children separated from their families. So let's all come together for ALCF's 19th annual Christmas gift drive to help local youth, Angel Tree, a program supporting children of incarcerated parents, and military troops serving abroad. Stop by the gift table to find out more about how you and your family can get involved through December 20th. It's time to spread the good news about Jesus throughout our communities by preparing packages of food, clothing, and toiletries. Then we'll share them and minister to people living on the streets or temporarily residing at the First Step for Families shelter. This event takes place on Sunday, November 18th at 11.45 a.m. in the ALCF kitchen. Our Young Adult Sunday Meetup is a great opportunity for people 18 to 30-ish to connect and have fun with other young adults over lunch. Meet us at the center pillar in the lobby after service on Sundays, and we'll head out together to enjoy tasty local eatery from 11.30 to 1 p.m. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. Have you ever wanted to be a part of the camera crew that records service? Are you interested in being a part of the production team that runs graphics during the service? Now is the perfect time to sign up for our open camera operator and graphics operator positions. Training will be provided in our production booth and you are guaranteed a great seat for service. We are looking for people who are focused, task-oriented, dedicated, and responsible. For more information, contact Visual Media at ALCF.net. The fourth Sundays of the month are now family-friendly, and your entire family is invited to join us in the sanctuary for our worship celebration. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to ALCF.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world.